Hey, good morning, Victory Life Church. Pastor Otto coming to you today. It is great to worship with you this morning. I hope you're doing well. We miss you. And we just want to say once again, thank you for joining us. If this is your first time joining us, we invite you to check out our website at vlchurch.com. You can learn all about us as a church there. And if you're comfortable, you can go to the New Here tab, click on that, and fill out that information. That'll come straight to me, and I will communicate with you sometime this week. But once again, thank you for joining us. I do have a few announcements that I'd like to make mention of, the first of which is something we mentioned last week. Uh, we still have a lot of virtual life groups that are going on. We have uh, one on Sunday morning. We have one on Sunday night. We have a few on Wednesday night and one that's starting up this week uh, that will happen on Thursday. And we have a myriad of topics that are being covered, all the way from Genesis to Revelation. We have the whole Bible covered. And we also are doing one that's starting this week on overcoming anxiety during COVID-19. And so we invite you to check out those life groups. Once again, we have a link on the front page of our website. You can click on that link and sign up for a life group. We would love to have you. Also this past week, uh, we mentioned uh, in the email that went out to the church that we are providing a discussion guide for you to be connected uh, with your family and friends while at home. This discussion guide goes right along with Pastor Matt's message and all the prompts and questions within the discussion guide allow you to have a life group within the comforts of your own living room or wherever you are when you watch the service on Sunday morning. So watch for that when it comes your way Saturday afternoon uh, when our church administrator sends the uh, sermon and the worship service to you on Saturday. That's the discussion guide for you guys to be connected to God and to one another during the time of worship tomorrow. Also, a couple of weeks ago, we mentioned something that can be a great resource and a great tool for you to be connected to all things Victory Life Church. As you know, we use Planning Center, but we also have something linked to Planning Center called Church Center. And there's actually an app um, that uh, is called Church Center. And this Church Center app can be downloaded to your phone and in fact, my very good friend AJ sent a message out this week on Facebook, on the Victory Life Church Facebook page, showing you how to connect to that app. It's very easy, and it's a great tool, and it's a great way for you to be, be connected to all of our life groups, uh, to register for events when we have them. And when we join as a church in person again, you can check your kids in before you get here to service. And there's just a whole lot more. It's just a great way to be connected, and it's a great way for you to uh, find out what's going on with all things uh, Victory Life Church. I want to mention one more thing uh, before I close in my uh, announcements to you today. We are having a day to pray this Thursday because, as you may know, uh, this Thursday, May 7th, is the National Day of Prayer. And so as God's people, we are still going to pray in spite of the fact that we can't gather uh, in person. So if you would like to join us, we're going to have three different time slots whereby you can come to the church and we'll provide guidance and direction on what you're supposed to do. But you can sign up for National Day of Prayer on our website. The three different time slots will be 9 a.m., 12 p.m., and 7 p.m., like I said, go to our website. There's a link on our front page. You can sign up for one of those times. We just invite you uh, to come and pray alongside of us. You know, Jesus told us how to pray when he said, your kingdom come, God, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's the essence of our prayer during, during this national day of prayer. And we certainly do invite you to join us during this very important, important time. Well, listen, thank you for worshiping with us today, and as we transition to a time of worship, let's pray together. Father God, we quiet our hearts before you today. So many of us have so many things on our hearts and minds. This makes me think back to a time when I know that Moses had a lot on his mind. When he said to you, God, show me your glory. And you responded to him and you said, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you. So God, we want to see your goodness pass in front of us this morning. We ask that you would show us your glory. We ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's worship this morning.
Let's worship this morning with the heavens. They're rejoicing and we are also. For a thousand tongues. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. The glories of my God and King, the triumphs of His grace. If eloquence I could display. If eloquence I could display and every language sing, a thousand words could never say the praise I have for thee. Hallelujah! 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 With saints from every age, with thousand times ten thousand strong, we'll praise His holy name. Hallelujah! 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 All praise.
I'm not afraid. No, I'm not afraid. No. To show you my weakness. My failures and flaws. Lord, you've seen them all. And you still call me friend. Oh, you're still God. Because the God of the mountain. Still the God of the valleys And there's not a place Your mercy and grace Won't find me again Oh, there's nothing Better than you Oh, there's nothing Better than you Lord, there's I'm telling them it this morning. just in our lives, but in this world that we live in. He's going to do more. He's going to do it again and again and again. The more miracles as we press in with faith, he longs to do these things in our lives. But the thing that makes it so amazing is that God the Father would send his only son, Jesus Christ, 
to die on a cross for our sins. So that when we ask for forgiveness and repent of the wrongs we've done, he washes them clean. That's the love of the Father and the love of the Son in our lives. And I stand amazed this morning at what Christ has done in my life. Because of what Christ has done, because of the love, I have access to all of the miracles that we just sang about. Even though some of those are Old Testament miracles, they're happening still today. He's turning seas into highways, the places we can't get across. He's bringing new life into dry bones. But it's because of the sacrifice of Jesus, the Son of God. So this morning, I stand amazed in his presence. And I pray that as we sing about him this morning, that you see a vision of Christ and can't help but stand amazed in his presence. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. Let's sing that again. I stand amazed. And I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. took my sins and my sorrows. He made them his very own. And he bore the burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone. Well, he took my sin. Well, he took my sins and my sorrows he made them his very own thank you lord and he bore the burden to calvary and suffered and died alone and we're singing It will be my joy through the ages to sing of his love for me. 
one more time together. God, we stand amazed at that one fundamental truth that you came and lived amongst us to show us how you feel about every human being on planet Earth. You didn't have to do it. You chose to do it. That's why we sing how marvelous and how wonderful is the Savior's love for me. I imagine there are many watching today who needed to hear how marvelous and wonderful is the love of God for me because the love of God is personal. And some are listening today and they need to know that you love them. I pray that your spirit would pierce through mind, heart, and soul that they would know this one truth, the most important truth. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that we could spend eternity with you. We thank you for that truth. In Jesus' name, we thank you. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, once again, thank you for worshiping with us today. It is indeed wonderful to gather as God's people to worship together. You know, I'm reminded of something that Jesus said. He said, if my people will lift me up, I will draw all men unto myself. Now I'd imagine that most, if not all of you, who gather this morning, I would imagine that's your heart's desire. That's the chief intent and purpose of your life. And may we always remember the importance of what we do here on this stage is not to draw attention to the stage, but it's to draw attention to the cross and to what God accomplished while on the cross by showing us how marvelous, how wonderful, how amazing is his love for you and I. That is why we stand up here, and that's why we do this stuff, so that we can convey that message to you and to the world around us, that one fundamental truth that God loves us and God loves you. So thank you once again for joining us today. As I said, it's just a wonderful opportunity for us to worship in a virtual format. And we just want to thank you for making the church that is Victory Life Church continue to be an amazing church. As I've mentioned these last couple of weeks, I see so many comments and messages that go out on our Facebook page and, and other communication mediums. And so we're so grateful unto you for staying connected in spite of this time of isolation and separation and quarantine. So thank you. We also want to thank you for continuing to give to Victory Life Church. And as you know by now, um, there are many different ways that you can give. You'll likely see something on the bottom of the screen that tells you that you can give uh, by just going online to vlchurch.com backslash give. And you can click on the Give Here tab and follow the prompts you can also text to give by texting to the number 73256, and the message when you text needs to be VLC 3833, and that'll take you to a page where you just follow the prompts, and you can give that way. And of course, you can always 
uh, send postal mail to 3833 Hudson Drive here in Stowe, Ohio. So once again, thank you for giving, and thank you for being an amazing church. And uh, may we at this time bow for a word of prayer. Let's pray. God, as our hymn this morning says, we stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me. Well, we know that you do love us. You love me. You love each person watching today. You love each person on this stage. And because of that love, that is the reason we give. Because we want everyone in this world to know that you love them. That is why we exist as a church. And so we ask and pray that you would take what we give so that the many around us would know what you did for them. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. Hey there, everybody. Happy May to you. It's good to be back with you as we are embarking on week three of the story of Abram and Abraham, the life of faith. Uh, we are excited to come to you this week with something a little bit different. I'm going to have you turn in your Bibles, if you have them, to chapter 13 of Genesis. If you have your Bible, you can turn to chapter 13 of Genesis. One of the most hateful, spiteful things that people can say to you in this life is, this thing is a process. This thing is going to be done incrementally. I hate the process. I don't want things to happen incrementally. I want them to happen here, now. Let's get it. Let's go for it. Let's be done with it. Let's not have a process. I say one of the most hateful things that people can say to you is, is this is a process. But the most hateful thing that people can say to you is this. Enjoy the process. That, that's just mean-spirited. It, it really is. I don't want to enjoy the process. I want the process to be over, and I want the end game to be here. But what we're going to see in the life of Abram over the next number of weeks, and remember, I'm going to use Abraham and Abram interchangeably, Sarai and Sarah interchangeably. Uh, the, 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 the thing that takes place in their life it is a progression. It, it really is incremental. The faith that is built into the life of Abram, the faith that is built into the life of Sarai, the faith that we're going to see that God wants to build into our lives, it doesn't always just happen overnight. Now, you might be saying to yourself, Pastor Matt, I was, I was watching in week one. I saw that Abram had this great faith that caused him to leave everything. I was watching in week two, and I saw, holy moly, this guy can act in a completely faithless fashion. So, so we see that there's, there's, there's progression and there's regression, but now we're going to get back into progression. We're going to see things move forward, and we're going to see some really practical things that take place in the life of Abram in chapter 13 that help us understand what should be taking place in our lives in terms of faith. We're going to break this down into four sections today of reading, okay, so we can break it down and, and comment upon each one. The first one we're going to do today is going to be one through four. So if you have your Bibles, look down with me. We'll make some comments, and then we'll move on. It says, So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold. He journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar to the Lord. And there Abraham called upon the name of the Lord. Now remember where Abram's coming from. It's not a very good place. Abram and Sarai are coming back from Egypt, and Sarai has just been in the household of another man. Through Abram's and her manipulation, they had created a mess for themselves, and here they are leaving the land of Egypt, and they're going back to the land of the promise. They're going back to the land of Canaan. And what we see here, huge in the life of Abram and Sarai, is that faith is humble. Faith is humble. It's mentioned here that Abraham is now very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold, but his riches matter not. 
I mean, think about it. He, he is now uh, a, an extremely wealthy man. He now has everything going for him by the world's standards. And instead of setting out on his own and saying, you know what, I don't really need the promise of God. I don't really need what God has for me. He, he returns. He goes back to the beginning. He doesn't say to himself, you know, that really didn't work out, that whole Canaan thing. I'm going to go ahead and move on to my own ends. No, he, he even though he's rich, even though he's a, he's a self-made man, and we saw how he, he made those riches back in Egypt, even though he's rich, it, that, doesn't, that doesn't change the fact that Abram's going to go back to the promise now. He's going to go back to what God's called him to do. And Genesis wants to make a big deal out of this. Look at what it says here in verse 3. It says, he journeyed on to the Negev as far as Bethel to where his tent had been at the beginning. And then in verse 4, it says, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. The Bible wants us to see, it wants us to note that Abram returned to where he was at the beginning, and that is a huge move of humility on his part. He, he's going to take that whole episode in Egypt and go, that was a mistake. I need to get back to where I called upon the name of the Lord. I need to get back to where God is. I need to get back to what I knew from the start and see if when I call upon the name of the Lord, I find God there. This is a returning. This is a, this is a humble thing. The Bible wants us to see the humility in this by mentioning the beginning and the first, that he goes back to what he knows, goes back to the beginning of the promise, to say, God, are you still here, and are you still investing in my life? I don't know that I can go so far as to call this a repentance. I, it doesn't say that Abraham knelt down and said, God, I'm sorry for everything that I did in Egypt. But certainly the humility of returning to where he was at the first is saying, God, I've been in control, and I need to put you back in control. And I love that it says, once again, he called upon the name of the Lord. What is calling upon the name of the Lord? It means that we say, God, I need you. God, I must have you. God, you need to be in control. God, I cede control to you. God, I need you to do what only you can do. It's a very humbling thing. This happened in my own life this week. It was so funny. I was having a day where I really felt like I was under attack. Remember we talked about last week lies and fear and what we do with those things? Here I had preached that to you. We had talked about it during the Facebook Live session, and I was just getting hammered by the enemy with, with thoughts of fear and thoughts of worry and thoughts of anxiety. And I, I was just a mess, and I thought, boy, it's amazing. I preach this, I teach this, and then this is where I get attacked this week. So I, I, I texted a trusted confidant. I said, I just need you to pray for me. I said, the very things that I was preaching about last week, I'm feeling really attacked in today. So this confidant of mine went away and prayed, and he texted me back, and he says, you need to call upon the name of the Lord. And I looked down at what I was studying to preach to you today, and I'm, I'm right there. I'm like, oh, I need to return to what I know. I need to call upon the name of the Lord. So I was sitting there, and I was, I was looking at my sermon, and I'm like, God, I need you. Jesus, help me. I was whispering upon the name of the Lord, right? Be because I, 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 just, I, I just wasn't in a real humble place. God, I need you. God, help me, please. I, I'm, I'm anxious. I'm, I'm worried. I'm fearful. I'm believing lies. Help me. But, but I wasn't calling upon the name of the Lord, and not much happened. Now, you might think I'm crazy. That's okay. You probably already do if you've watched enough of my sermons. So I walked outside, and I was here at the church. I was all alone. Walked outside into the parking lot, and I started yelling, Jesus! Jesus, I need you! I'm a hot mess! Now, if any neighbors were anywhere near us, I'm sure the deer were scared. If the beaver, uh, if another beaver had come onto the property, we have no worries about a dam, because I was just calling upon the name of the Lord. And it's funny I shouldn't say it's funny, it's just true. Over the course of the next few moments and hours, my spirit was lifted. Because what could be more humble than standing outside and screaming the name of the Lord? But that's what I did. I thought, if that will work, I'll try it. I'll go outside and I will call, not whisper, I will call on the name of the Lord. And you say, Pastor Matt, you're taking things a little bit too literal. I, I don't know that I am. I think God often puts us in a place where if we can just be willing to show some humility and do what he's called us to do, he wants to meet us right in that moment. What Abram does here is he goes back 
to what God has called him to. He moves towards where God is. Sometimes in the Bible, we're called to kneel before the Lord. Sometimes in the Bible, we're called to lay prostrate on the ground before the Lord. Sometimes in the Bible, we're called to confess our sins one to another. Sometimes in the Bible, we're called to to call the elders of the church around us and lay their hands on us and pray for us that we may be healed. The Bible has all types of faith-filled instruction that says, humble yourself and do what I call you to do and see if I'll meet you there. Humble yourself Be willing to look like an idiot for a moment and see if in that humility and that trust in me, if I'll meet you there. Well, Abram goes back to Bethel. He goes back to what he knows. He goes and returns to what he knows, and he calls upon the name of the Lord. Let's see what happens next. Verse 5 through 7. And Lot's nephew, Lot, Abram's nephew, went with him. He also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. You're like, did he say parasites? I mean, this is the reason you should have your Bible open in your lap. I did not say parasites, I said Perizzites, and we'll get to that in just a moment. So what's taking place here? Now remember I said just a moment ago that Abraham now has great riches. He's really wealthy. He's got a ton of livestock. But it really matters not to him. It wasn't part of the promise. God never says, I will bless you and make you rich, Abraham. God doesn't say that. The riches don't matter. He goes back to the place. He humbles himself even as a rich man to find out what God has next for him. But these riches now become an issue. Abraham has too many sheep. He's got too much livestock. So much livestock that that he and Lot used to be able to hang out together. He and his nephew, his presumptive heir, used to be able to to, to do this thing together. Now they can't any longer. There's just just too many people, too too much livestock, too much going on that that the land can't support them both. And it, it, it results in strife. It results in infighting. The riches that Abraham has acquired isn't, aren't helpful. More money, more problems. He's got issues here because he has acquired all of this money. It's not good. All of this, all of this livestock, it's not good. And the fighting that takes place is a direct result of those riches. Interesting, is it not? Riches weren't part of the promise, but riches are bringing these issues to bear. So these herdsmen are fighting. They're worried that there's not enough to support life. And the Bible makes it clear that this was a problem. Think about this for just a minute. They were herdsmen, and they didn't have any land of their own. So they're already sort of living on the margins of society, right? All these Canaanite cities, all these Canaanite towns, and they've got to sort of skirt around them and move around them and go into places that aren't already claimed, go into places that aren't already owned in order to take care of their livestock and, and, and have water and, and feed their families. So they're already these itinerant people who, who have to stay on the margins of society, Okay, But now they're rich. They have too much. And the land can't support them. This margin can't support them anymore. And the Bible gives us an even clearer picture when it says the Canaanites and the Perizzites, not the Perizzites, lived in the land. Because Canaanites were the city dwellers, but as best we can understand from the name Perizzites, Perizzites means more that they were out, out in the field dwellers. So these might have been Canaanite herdsmen. So not only are they worried about the settlements, but they're worried about other people who already have a claim to the land, and the land could not support them both. But what Abram does now, what, a, what takes place in the life of Abram shows that when a new test comes, Abram's ready to meet it. Faith is going to be tested again. Faith was tested when there was a famine. Faith was tested in Egypt. Faith is going to be tested again when Abram goes back into the land of Canaan, but what Abram does now shows that he is progressing, he is learning, and he is changing. Let's go ahead and read verse 8 and following. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I'll go to the right. If you take to the right hand, I'll go to the left. 
And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zor. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Eh, a little bit of foreshadowing. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. So they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now, the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Now, once again, we have some foreshadowing there. We'll get to that in the chapters to come. Now, right at this moment, there's going to be a map that comes up. You're going to see what we're talking about here. The land of Canaan is right there in the center. You see Bethel right in the middle there. That's where Abram is. He, he remains in the land of Canaan, the land of the promise. But Lot looks to the east, southeast, if you will, of the Dead Sea. You see the big Dead Sea there in the, in the corner? Southeast of the Dead Sea, you'll see a, a, a possible location of Zor. That's a very well-watered area of the world. There's wadis, there's rivers, there's natural springs. Even to this day, it, it's, a, it's a decent place to raise livestock. There, was, uh, there were famous writings in the ancient world about the, the, the wealth, if you will, of natural resources in Zor. Lot sees all that and he goes, oh, that looks good. That looks good. I'm going to head down in that direction. Except that Lot right, walks right out of the promise. Isn't that interesting? He, he walks right out of the land of Canaan. He is now in the cities of the Jordan River Valley. He, he's not in the land of Canaan any longer. Abram stays right where the promise is. Lot goes a different direction. And it's interesting to see what happens to Abram and what happens to Lot over the course of the next few, few weeks. With all of that said, let's talk about what happens in the life of Abram and what we see through what we just read. We see that Abram's faith is learned. It's learned. You say, well, he had great faith at the beginning of chapter 12 when he went to Canaan. Yes, he did. But we have no idea what type of control Abram was in in those moments. Obviously, to pick up his household and move into the land of Canaan was a step of great and amazing faith. And at the same time, we see towards the end part of chapter 12 that Abram still has it in mind to manipulate, to take hold of the promise of God, to make sure that he ensures his future. So there's this great juxtaposition that Abram can show great faith, but Abraham can try to remain in control. But what we see here in the life of Abram and his dealing with Lot is Abraham's letting go of control, letting go of it completely. Think about this for just a moment. Lot was his presumptive heir. Lot was his closest male relative. Lot was younger than him. Lot was his nephew. Lot could have been the one that Abraham could have supposed, I need Lot here because Lot is going to ensure that these promises that God has given me come true. And Abram says to Lot, Lot, go ahead. We need to separate. That shows great faith. God had promised offspring to Abram in chapter 12. Offspring, seed, literally, in the Hebrew. His own offspring. He, he's saying, God, I trust you. Lot does not need to be my heir. In fact, later on in the book of Genesis, after Lot is gone and Abram still doesn't have a son, he sort of looks at God and goes, Eliezer of Damascus is going to be my heir now. Some random dude, right? So, so Abram is letting go of the promise. He's letting go of the control. He's growing in faith. He's learning in faith. God can be in control of his future. But he also puts God completely in control of his supply, completely in control of his finances, if you will. Think about this for just a minute. Abram's the rich one. Abram's got the ton of livestock. The Bible makes it very clear. Lot had some. Abram had a ton. Abram was the one who had the most need. Abram was the one who needed the most pasturage. He looks at Lot and says, take whatever you want. I'll take the leftovers. Take whatever you want, Lot. Whatever you don't want, that's what I'll take. Do you see the level of faith that Abram's growing in? Abram was, was the head of the household. He could have said, Lot, you go over there with your, with your possessions because I'm going to stay over here with, with my great possessions and I am the leader, so go. I'm going to take... No. He says, Lot, wherever you go is fine. I'm good. I'll go the other direction. Wow. That's great faith. Some of you are like, I wish I had a business partner like that, you know? <laughs> I, I wish that took place at work, right? 
I, I wish the next time we were, we were up for promotion, I just got to say, yes, I, 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 will, I will go ahead and take that because you don't want it, even though you have seniority. Sounds good. You know, I, this just doesn't happen. But that's what Abram does. Why? I suppose Abram figures, if God can give me my wife back from the most powerful man on earth, he can probably supply for my sheep. If God cares about me enough to give me my wife back from Pharaoh, I'm sure he can supply for the people in my household. See, Abram is only back in the land of Canaan by the grace of God. And Abram is growing in faith, knowing that God will take care of him. He ceded control to God, and he ceded supply to God. This is the growth in faith that God is looking for for each and every one of us. He's wanting us to cede control to him and allow him to be our supply. That is faith that is learned. It sometimes takes time seeing the grace of God manifested in our lives over and over and over again before we finally realize you should have been in control all along. See, why does God need control? Is he an egomaniac? No, he needs control because he loves us. I play board games with my kids all the time. Monopoly, Ticket to Ride, Settlers of Catan. And sometimes, depending on their age, my kids really aren't old enough to play the game. And they don't like it when I try to help them. No, don't try to help me figure out the money. I'm like, you're giving them a 20, you owe them 200. No, don't help me, help me find out how to build that settlement. I just want to, and I'm like, no, no, you want to build a settlement because you're trying to score points. No, no, I want to put my train over here. No, you want to put your train over there so that you can win. What am I doing? I'm taking control as the father in order to give my child a fair shot in this thing. I don't need control because I need to play the game for both of us. I need control to make sure that my kid's taken care of it doesn't get run roughshod over. That's the control that God wants to make manifest in your life if you would just be willing to show some faith. The control he wants is to make sure that you don't get run over in this life, but that he can bring good things about so that he can speak grace to you as you speak faith to him. So many of you right now, and I just know because it's life, you're trying to control a certain relationship. Maybe it's with your spouse. Maybe it's with your with your adolescent children, maybe it's with your adult children, maybe it's with your parents, maybe it's with a brother or a sister, maybe it's with a business partner. You're trying to control and manipulate a situation and you're working and working and working to get things the way you need them to be and you just won't cede control of that to God. And God's saying, in faith, you need to let go and let me. That's faith. Stop trying to manipulate because the more you manipulate, the more of a mess you make. God's trying to make sure that you can move forward in this life. And if you'll cede control, if you'll humble yourself and return to what you know about his word, he can begin to work in those relationships. Some of you have not ceded control of your schedule to God. You just run and you run and you run and you run and you run and you're exhausted and you're exhausted and you're exhausted and you're exhausted. And, and, you're, and you're worried and you're overwhelmed. And you forget that this God of the universe instituted the Sabbath. A day of rest once in seven days in order to recoup and say, watch what will happen if you will honor that. I'll honor the other six. Just returning to what you know, humbling yourself enough to say, I'm not going to work today. I know that God can accomplish what he needs to if I give him control. And the Bible is replete with stories, just like chapter 13, in which we say, God, I cede control of supply to you. I'm going to make financial decisions asking you what needs to take place in my life and obeying your word and trusting that you will take care of me if I operate according to your word. I give you control because I trust you. None of my kids like handing me their Monopoly money when I'm going, hey, I've got to figure this out. You owe them $56 and all you got is a 500. Let me work this out for you. None of, no, give me the money back. God's trying to say, if you'll just let me be in control, 
you'll see that I have your best interest at heart. This is the life of faith. Saying, God, I'll humble myself. I'll do it your way. I'll give you control. I'll trust you to supply. When you do this, God shows up. Let's read the final part of our story today. Verse 14 and following. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him. Just stop there for a minute. I'm not going to explain that. Just let it sink in. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him. Just think on that for a second. After Abraham had ceded control of the situation, God said to Abram, lift up your eyes. Look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, westward, for the land that you see, I will give it to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can also be counted. Arise, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled at the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. What happens when you operate in faith, once again, God operates in grace. You speak faith, God speaks grace. God speaks grace, you speak faith. After he was separated from Lot, God comes back and goes, your offspring, your offspring, Abram, your offspring. I'm going to do a miracle in your life. I'm going to change things for you forever because you ceded control to me. You said, you're the boss. You said, I trust you. And God goes, it's coming, man. It's coming in your life. You watch for it. I love your faith. Here comes my grace. I love it. After Lot had separated from him, God comes in and goes, walk the length and breadth of the land, Abram. It's yours. Count the dust on the ground, Abraham. It will be yours. He says, I am going to move because you humbled yourself and you gave me control. You are learning faith, and I'm going to give you more of the plan. I'm going to give you more of the promise. I'm going to give you more of my spirit, and you're going to see that I'm going to move in your life in miraculous ways. I love it. That's what God wants to do in you. As you learn faith and you cede control to him, you will see him like you've never seen him before. You will lift up your eyes and see the promise and the plan of God in your life like you never have before. And you'll say to yourself, I should have been living in this all along. I should have given him control of my relationships, given him control of my family, given him control of my home, given him control of my schedule, given him control of my finances. I want to have his priorities be my priorities. I want to, I want to have his control in my life in such a way that I know he's taking care of me because I know when I do that, it will be grace after grace after grace. That's what God wants to do in your life. There's such a blessed assurance in knowing that God is in control. The other night I was doing family Bible time with my boys. I did this when my girls were young. We walked through the Bible a number of times. I'm doing it now with my five and my three and my, well, my one-year-old. He just sort of sits there and shakes the crib, but whatever. And we were doing the story of Jesus calming the storm. And Jesus gets up from the boat. He calms the storm. He goes, guys, you have such little faith. What's the story here? You know, such little faith. So I asked my boys, I said, what's faith? And the five-year-old says, believing. And the three-year-old said, he said believing, so I'm pretty sure it's believing. And I said, nah, faith is a little bit more than believing. I said, let's see if you really have faith. I looked at them, I said, do you trust if you fell that I'd catch you? They both said, yeah. And I said, all right. I said, stand up on the edge of your bed, put your arms out, turn around and face the wall and fall backwards into my arms. I tried it with the five-year-old. He reaches back, he turns around, he just can't bring himself to fall. I try it with the three-year-old. Hey, he, he turns around, he grabs for my arm, he just can't bring himself to fall. So I said, all right, boys, I understand. It takes time to have faith. I said, why don't you turn around and face me? So they're standing on the edge of the bed, and they face me. I said, jump into my arms. Five-year-old jumps, I catch him. Three-year-old jumps, I catch him. I said, now don't you trust that I would do that if you weren't looking? 
So they got back up on their beds, and they put their arms out. The trust falls happened. They leaned back and fell into the arms of their father. But they had to see my care and control. And then they were able to give me full control. I thought, oh, that was pretty interesting. I'm going to go to my girl's room. They were reading something else. I said, girls, do you trust me? Do you have faith that I'd catch you if you fell? Sure. I said, well, why don't you stand up, turn around, put your arms out, and fall backwards into my arms. Seven-year-old puts her arms out, falls right in. Nine-year-old puts her arms out, falls right in. Why? Because they've been around me longer. They know I won't let them fall. They've seen their faith in dad rewarded for longer than the five-year-old and three-year-old. But they know that I would never let them hit the ground. Don't be ashamed today if you haven't given him control. Don't be ashamed today if you've been walking in pride. But whatever you do today, I would ask you to say, God, where is it that you want me to move? What is it you want me to trust you in that if I were to cede control to you, I would see your grace pour in? God, where is it that I just won't fall into your arms, trust your word, humble myself, and do what you've called me to do? Where is it? Ask him that today. I know you're sitting in your armchair sipping your coffee, but ask him that today. God, where do I need to give you control? I want to grow in this life of faith. I don't want to stay stagnant. I'm willing to trust you more. I'm willing to give you more of me. I will trust in faith that by giving you the control that you'll take care of me. That when I speak faith, you'll speak grace. What could be better than living our lives safe in the arms of our Father? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray right now that you would speak to us. I know we're watching from our homes, from our phones, from our cars, from our basements. I know we don't have an altar that we can all kneel around and pray. But Lord, I pray that you would speak right now to your people. And I pray, Lord, that wherever they need to humble themselves, wherever they need to grow in faith, that you would speak it, that they would hear it, and that you would move. Just like we do on a Sunday morning here when we're all gathered together, let's just make this commitment time. Just take a few minutes to say, Lord, what are you speaking? And what do you want me to do? After a few minutes, Adrian will pray out, play our benediction song, and we'll close. But this time is important. This is now your time to ask the Lord, what of me? Let's go to prayer. last week it's about believing and trusting and knowing that God is who he says he is so you don't have to sing right now you can stay in prayer and listen to the Lord's voice but know that his promise still stands it always does
Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness, faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You never fail me. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness, faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You never fail. Maybe you need to declare it. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. Your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You never fail me, Lord. And we sing that and we believe it. But have you surrendered your heart to Him? Sing, Lord, I give you. my heart I give you my soul I live for you alone every breath that I take every moment I'm awake Lord have your way one more time Lord I give you my heart I give you my soul. Yes, we do, Lord. I live for you alone. Every breath that I take, every moment I'm awake. Lord, have your way in me. All right. It's assignment time talked about faith being humble we talked about returning to things we know we talked about seeing God move as we learn to cede control what's God been speaking to you today what has he been knocking at your heart's door about here's what I want you to do if you're watching with a friend or a spouse today the minute you turn this broadcast off, just tell them. I feel like God is saying to me, oh, Pastor Matt, I, I, I could never. No, the Spirit of God lives in you. Just preface it. I feel like God is saying to me, speak it. Speak it to someone. You say, I'm watching alone, Pastor Matt. You text a confidant or a friend right now. I feel like God is speaking to me. Do it. Trust him. Believe that he'll speak to you the way he spoke to Abraham. And watch him move. Watch him move. You speak faith. He speaks grace. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time we got to spend with you today. God, I pray that you continue to work in our lives this week as we humbly give you control in faith. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. We love you. We look forward to seeing you soon. So long.